0: Uh, There are some people that uh, you can look to in your lives that have made a huge, huge difference, Uh, and that's true of Karin for me. A year ago, I took a class from Karin at Whitworth University on Christian spirituality, and uh, it has helped inform uh, who I am spiritually and a lot of what Cairo, the church plant in Coeur d'Alene, is about as well. Um, I could give an hour-long introduction Uh, to this amazing woman. Uh, She has three doctorate degrees, one from the Sorbonne, one from the University of Munich, uh, one from Rome, the Lateran uh, School in Rome, and uh, has made a huge impact on students' lives at Whitworth University and really around the world. So it is with huge, huge honor that I introduce to you this morning Karin Heller from Whitworth University. Thanks a lot. Good morning. I'm very honored to be here. Thank you for the invitation. Well, I will do my little thing, get it up here. Yes, wonderful. Uh, Your leadership asked me this morning to speak about love, and um, I will connect the the two texts that we have heard and two other texts uh, to this Christian theme of love. That will be the first part of my homily. And the second uh, part will be on how to connect this message that's given to us in these texts uh, to the saving acts of Christmas, because, well, Christmas is already the start of Jesus' saving acts to us. Uh, The overarching theme of uh, my homily today is um, taken from the Song of Songs, and it's Love is the Flame of the Lord of the great I am, of course. So I've set the stage. Let's go into the first uh, part. We have heard Malachi. He speaks about God's messenger. People look for him, and suddenly, we will see him in his temple. The passage recalls for me the female lover in the Song of Songs looking for the beloved one. Here she says, I sought him whom my heart loves, I sought him, but did not find him. So I will rise and go through the city and the streets and the squares. Have you seen him whom my heart loves? We all, God's people, well, we are called to seek the one our heart loves during this Advent time. Who exactly will he be? How will he be? Will he be gentle? Will he be harsh? So, where is our heart in this Advent season? For whom or for what are we looking for coming to this Sunday morning service? Whom do we expect? Who will he truly be once he appears? Well, these are all some big questions for a heart in love, right? What people see, according to Malachi... That does not really sound lovely. Who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand when he appears? And I am hearing, you know, the beautiful music of Miss of the of Handel's Messiah. You know, that's a little bit fearing and uh, full of frightened. Um, well, it's not really romantic, rosy, and cozy. <laughs> The appearance of the lover has something powerful, even frightening. Well, love is serious. Or, as the Song of Songs puts it, love is strong as death. The flash of it is a flash of fire, the flame of the Lord Himself. Love, no flood can quench, no torrents drown. Let's have a look. At Zacharias' Benedictus, this beautiful text that we have heard this morning, Zachariah speaks about the vocation of his newborn son, John the Baptist. As you know, his vocation is to be a prophet who will give to God's people what knowledge of salvation. In the biblical language, there are two words for knowledge in Greek: oida and gnosis. Oida would be head knowledge. Gnosis is heart knowledge that touches our well physical body, our heart, our mind. And this reminds me a little story of my students. This was my first year at Whitworth when I taught um, they had Gnosis and Oida on the final test and the students said, well, how will, will we know that Gnosis, Gnosis is experimental love, how will we do that? Well, I said to them, if the word Gnosis shows up on the test, think about Bill Clinton and Monica. It was really, really experimental. <laughs> so, well, in the New Testament, the knowledge of salvation, that's intimate too. It's the experience of God's love when he forgives us. It's the forgiveness of sins. And as long as this knowledge does not touch our hearts, well, in this very intimate way, we continue to sin. Why? Because the knowledge of forgiveness is the flame of God's love. When we are forgiven, our love is kindled anew. We are happy when we are forgiven. And we all made this experience, you know, when we screwed something up, Well, then comes the the person that rescues us, and we are full of flame for that person. But at the same time, this love burns because it brings to the fore that we really screwed something up. And we don't like that. And when this flame really comes into our hearts, well, when it really touches us, then we cannot continue to sin anymore. Then we really have to break with sin. But that's sometimes not really on our radar screen. Uh, we keep this flame of God at secure distance. We talk about it in big words, and we make sure it does not enter too deeply into our lives for fear. We have to undergo that change. So we keep it right in our heads, head knowledge. We forget about it until next Sunday morning service. We warm up at the flame for a moment at a secure distance, and then we return to our world. Well, in this Benedictus of Luke that we have just heard, the flame of God is this rising sun that visits the world of darkness. As we are rather moving away from this flame, well, the flame comes to us. Do we really want this sun to put its nose into our private affairs and secret affairs? Well, we are a little bit divided. We are longing for that flame, and at the same time, we fear it. We are a little bit like these people in a cave, as Plato would put it, not used to deal with the light that reveals how things really are. So the flame of God's love has really, really a hard time to make its way into man's and woman's heart, to guide us, to guide our feet on the path that is a path of peace based on truth, of reconcil- reconciliation with ourselves, with God, and with, um, with all human beings. Paul, uh, in his letter to the Philippians, he speaks about the same thing. I think we didn't hear this text today, but I refer to it in this um, little homily. He says, In this, and this is my prayer, writes Paul, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight. Well, the kind of law Paul is uh, speaking here is not a question of theology and intellectual reflection. It's not an emotion, a feeling. It's not a human excitement. They all pass and produce very little. But it's the flame of the Spirit of God that is poured out into our hearts, as says Paul in the letter to the Romans. And what does this flame do in our hearts? Well, it makes us able to discern what is best and maybe pure and blameless for the day of Christ, for his coming. And that's precisely what we prefer to postpone very often. Uh, just, just a little bit like the prayer of St. Augustine, you may remember Lord, give me chastity, but not yet. <laughs> So, God has really a hard way to find his um, way. uh, It's really hard for God to find his way uh, through the jungles of our lives. And um, to come there, well, um, we heard that uh, John the Baptist is preaching in the wilderness. It's precisely in the wilderness that God speaks to us. Uh, When John the Baptist preaches in the wilderness, it recalls, the time of Exodus, the time when Israel was in Egypt. And in fact, um, we know from the Gospel of John that um, John the Baptist baptises at Anan near Salim. And when you look that up on a map of that time, of course, you will see that he was preaching in a territory uh, that's left bank uh, of the Jordan River. And it's the only pagan territory, left bank river of, uh, left bank of the Jordan River. So everybody who went to John the Baptist had to leave the promised land and go into pagan territory. It was a way to recognize that one was not really worthy of living in uh, God's land. And they underwent underwent ritually a kind of um, going through the sea of reeds through the baptism and God would lead them back to the holy land, to the promised land. So John's Baptism was a ritualistic exodus experience. Israel has always considered this walk through the wilderness as an experimental knowledge of who God really is and who they, the God of people, really are. You know, it's a little bit like a marriage. After the ceremony, you are off in a beautiful car uh, to California Beach, sitting besides, while well, your spouse, and um, now, well, you have to learn how to love one another really experimentally. And uh, that's precisely what happens with the people of God. They also had this ceremony, the Seder, the famous liturgy, and then they were off to the desert, not in a beautiful Mercedes or a Beamer, but they just had to walk, you know, with their feet. But the goal was the same. <laughs> Absolutely the same, it was, well, now we have to live it out, that love, okay? And that's precisely what prophet Hosea says, um, he's the prophet of God's, of God's love, and he says, um, well, um, he will lead, he will lead uh, the unfaithful wife of Israel into the wilderness, into, in, into this desert, And the prophet writes, when that day comes, she will call me my husband. No longer will she call me my bale. I will take the names of the bales off her lips. Their names shall never be uttered again. That's what mutual love aims at. It delivers us from the false images we make of God and of ourselves. Through true love, we learn who we truly are and who the other truly is. And normally when this is done, then um, we're filled with joy and gratitude. That's what John the Baptist means when he says, um, every valley shall be filled in, every mountain and hill made low. The crooked roads shall become straight, the rough ways smooth. Yes. The valleys of our heart will be filled with God's love and joy, while sin will be made low and righteousness restored. Then Israel calls Willie really God her husband, and she recognizes that she truly is God's dear wife. Wow. The Quran does not speak of God like that. In the Quran, God has many names, 99 as far as I know, but there are two names that we find in the Bible, but these two names are not in the Quran. And these two names are God is husband, And God is a father. Wow, that's why, well, society within an Islamic world does not look like precisely as it should look like in a Christian society. Now Christmas is the flame of God's love which overcomes a long distance between heaven and earth. Yes, love is to overcome a long distance the distance between a man and a woman, the distance between a professor and a student, the distance between an employer and the employee, and so forth. By doing so, God reveals to humankind anew what is wrong and what has still to be corrected when we think of God and of ourselves. So I'm now right to my second part. Is that okay? Yes, seatbelt is fastened for this short service. Through my homily, there are no beverages because the Shiva service, service is too short. So, now I would like to connect these. <laughs> these. It's good to have a laugh, especially at nine o'clock in the morning. <laughs> That's what I always tell my students. <laughs> I want to connect uh, these themes of love to the saving acts of Christmas. The incarnation of God's eternal love, we have been singing about that right now. I think you have grasped already from my first part uh, that um, it's really hard for God to make its way to man's human heart. God, yes, is waiting for a loving loving response on our behalf. The disciples on the road of Amos, uh, later on when Jesus already uh, had vanished from their sight, they remember and say, did not our hearts burn within us as he talked to us on the road and explained the scriptures to us? Well, throughout the Old Testament, God looked for a loving response by speaking to his people. The Bible, the Old Testament, that's God's love letter to his people. And as they didn't really get it, well, God decided to read them this love letter in person through his son, Jesus Christ. True love letters are not those that speak about romantic love. But the true love letters are those who speak grace and truth, as the prologue of John puts it. God knows we fear and we protect ourselves from this flame of love. Therefore, in order... To find his way into our hearts, God sent his messenger, this time not as a powerful prophet like Elijah, Hosea, Isaiah, but this time his messenger is a child which cannot utter a word. Have you ever seen a babe speaking already? Well, his messenger comes as a totally powerless and wordless child. The most powerful God who says, I am, accepts to be totally speechless. A speechless child laid down in a manger where usually beasts find their food. The more we want our God to be powerful, the less this God is loving. That's lesson number one. Lesson number two is, to love is to make ourselves vulnerable. And we all know that. And that's why we love so little. To love is to share with someone an intimate relationship. We easily narrow it down to sex, but to love goes much deeper than sex. It's to disclose to someone else who truly I am with my upsides, with my downsides, especially with my downsides. And that's why our broken love relationships are so painful. We disclosed our inmost being to someone else, disclosed the good sides and especially our weaknesses. And when the relationship is broken, we feel stripped off, laid bare, devastated, and especially vulnerable. What will the person do with with all what I have revealed? It can be used against me, right? Well, the story reminds me of a lady I watched on French TV one day. Uh, She was a Lebanese woman who had married um, a very rich businessman from Saudi Arabia. She was used to Western standards and was really very unhappy in her marriage, uh, given the life of women in Saudi Arabia. So eventually she got divorced and went to Europe, and she looked for a youth. And so she went wherever she could, you know, finding a yacht. And one day she passed um, by, and um, per case, she, she saw a yacht that looked like totally shipwrecked, coming out of a hurricane, totally devastated. And she asked, What's that? And the people said to her, Well, this was once the most beautiful and most expensive yacht of the world. And the name of the yacht was Phosea. Phosea is the Greek name for the French city of Marseille, southern part of France. It belongs to a French businessman. And uh, during the interview, this woman said, this youth, that was me. That's how I felt. That's what I looked like after my divorce. Like a beautiful, most beautiful youth which had undergone an utmost violence caused by nature and human hand. She bought it she totally restored it, put a great part of the money that she got from her divorce into it, and it was a therapy for her to recover from her divorce. Well, what was this yield for this woman is for God, this speechless child, totally stripped off all of its powerful word, glory, and prestige. And throughout the years, God builds up This child who will learn to speak, to read, to write, although he is the eternal word of God. God leads this child through the roughest tempest of this early life, and that is to be sentenced to death, executed, although you are totally innocent. But this cannot prevent God from building up this child and giving him back the glory it possessed as the eternal word of God. Love is not an emotion or a feeling so good about God and about oneself. Love is to hang in there and to build up at any cost a shipwrecked yacht and give it back its original glory. This recalls me also Prophet Jeremiah You know, he has the most beautiful words on love in the Old Testament. I think he was the prophet uh, who witnessed the Holocaust before the Holocaust. I'm speaking about the Babylonian exile, uh, when all the weak members of Israel um, were just slaughtered and all the others, well, had to walk to Babylonia 2,000 kilometers, were reduced to slavery, stripped of everything. And at that moment, God says to this, through his prophet Jeremiah, I've loved you with an everlasting love. I built you once more. You shall be rebuilt, virgin of Israel. And please don't tell me that the God in the Old Testament is full of vengeance and eager to kill. Uh, While the God of the New Testament is so gentle and kind. No. The most beautiful words of love we find them, I think, in the Old Testament. Christmas is God's journey from heaven to earth. As I told you, love is to overcome the distance. And on this journey, God's eternal word gets shipwrecked in Bethlehem. That uh, reminds me of another little story. When I was um, hired by Whitworth ten years ago, it was precisely at this time of Advent, uh, they brought me over from Europe and um, one of the professors during the interview process said to me, how can you leave Paris for Spokane, Washington? <laughs> <laughs> Am I response to this was, how could Jesus leave heaven for Bethlehem? (laughs) (laughs) They all told me afterwards, at that moment, you had the job. (laughs) 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 Well, God's shipwreck was a voluntary one. Ours is not a voluntary one. It's just what it is. Uh, One of our most famous French presidents, De Gaulle, he wrote, he writes in his memoirs that to age is to undergo a shipwreck. Well, I think we can also get shipwrecked at a very young age. (laughs) Um, One day, sooner or later, we are all stripped off of our glory, power, prestige, and we will ask, and now what? And that's very often the time to meet our God in the wilderness of our lives. It's the time where hopefully the miracle of love occurs. The time where the flame of God's love reaches really, truly our heart. And makes us totally His through a deep transformation. This leads me to a second reflection on love in relationship with these saving events. We've seen so far that this knowledge of salvation um, relates to the forgiveness of sins. It's forgiveness, it's for the forgiveness of sins that Jesus comes into the world. But that's not all. That's halfway through. Jesus comes into the world to become one with us so that we may be truly his body. That's the ultimate goal of Jesus' incarnation. What is love? Love is to become one. Love occurs when lovers can truly say to one another, you are mine and I'm yours. And love really reached our hearts when we can say to God, I'm yours and you are mine. What does it mean to belong to God? How can I totally belong to God, and how can I know that I totally belong to God? Well, in the Catholic tradition, we have two saints who asked this question at a very young age. I'm speaking of Therese of Avila and Therese of Lisieux. Therese of Lisieux who is also known as the little flower. She considered herself as the little flower. Therese of Lisieux had a decisive conversion experience at Christmas when she was 14, 13, 14 years old, She really realized at that moment what it means to receive the strong and powerful God in this newborn babe laying in the manger, not capable of speaking. She entered the Carmelite monastery at 15, and seven years later she died um, of tuberculosis of the lungs. And sometime before um, she became aware of this disease, she expressed her spiritual life in the following terms. I no longer have any desires except to love till I die of loving. She had the desire to become a great missionary, even a martyr. She was thinking about founding a Carmelite monastery in Vietnam. God stripped her of all these desires. And she says, the weaker one is without desires, without virtues, the more one is for the operations that of that consuming and transforming love and here it comes she says it is trust and nothing but trust that must bring us to love only love produced by faith is the loving response God waits for love for God and love for the neighbor and that's what all Jesus life is about can never be a product of our efforts, feelings, even of our will. Love is not a product that we can buy. Love is a free gift, received by a genuine heart, which responds by this same type of love. Love is repaid by love alone, as John of the Cross would put it. Here on this earth, our response to God's love will never be totally complete. Paul writes to the Philippians, He who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. The flame of God's love is deposited into our hearts. But now this work of God has to be brought to completion. And in order to do so, God, Jesus, gives us a command to love as he has loved. Well, We have to receive this command with faith that he will one day complete what he has begun in us. And I think that's how we should approach this child given to us at Christmas lying in a manger. This child does not utter a word. This child says to us, one day you will love just like me. That's what Therese, the little flower, expresses when she looks back at her short life of only 23 years. And she writes, she says to God, you, Your love has gone before me. It has grown with me. And now it is an abyss whose depths I cannot fathom. Here on earth I cannot conceive a greater immensity of love than the one which it has pleased you to give me freely without any merit on my part. Christmas is the promise that God's flame of love will grow in us. That's why Christmas is not just one day of the year. Christmas has to become every day of our life. Because it's every day of our life that Christ wants to be born in us. Christ does not come into the world um, for living. Let's say a life of approximately 30 years to die, to rise for our salvation. But Christ wants to be born in us. And how does this occur? Well, we have to look a little bit to the gospel we hear at Christmas. Gospel of Luke. And we have to look uh, towards the one who knows what it means to give birth to Christ. She was the first one who had Christ born in her. And that's, of course, Jesus' mother The Gospel of Luke reads, um, as for Mary, she treasured all these things and pondered them in her heart. What is she pondering in her heart? Well, she's pondering in her heart the message she just received from the shepherds. The shepherds had themselves received from the angel. What was this message? Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He's Christ the Lord. And here is the sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloth and lying in a manger. What? Mary is pondering in her heart? Nothing else than the summary of Jesus' life. The summary is given in the three titles. Yes, Jesus is Savior. Yes, Jesus is Christ, which means Messiah or Son of David. Yes, Jesus is Lord, which means Son of God. But at the same time, these three powerful titles are associated, mysteriously associated with Swaddling Cloth and with a manger. The swaddling cloths of course prefigure the towel Jesus, Jesus will wrap around his waist when he will wash his feet the, the disciples the, the disciples' feet, and it's probably this towel that he wears when he is crucified at the cross. In other words, all these powerful titles have to be connected in our hearts with a powerless and speechless child. That's the work we are called to do so that Christ may be born in us. And I can tell you it takes an entire life to do that. That's the way in which Christ, as he truly is, is born in us. Because we have so many false images about Jesus and about Christ. We have to be stripped off of these false images. It's not the powerful Jesus we all dream about, but it's a powerless Savior, Christ and Lord. So what Mary ponders in her heart, well, it's simply Jesus' story, and that's what normally we do every day. Right? For our Orthodox brothers and sisters, the manger where Jesus reposes is already a tomb. Where Jesus will be laid at the end of his life. If you look up the icon of um, Nativity in the Orthodox tradition, you see that the manger is already a tomb, at Babe Jesus is in there like a mommy. So, for me, the manger or the tomb, that's my heart. That's your heart. Jesus, who is the flame of the Lord himself, he is this rising sun. He is the rising star in the Gospel of Matthew. He wants to visit this tomb day by day. He wants to visit your tomb, my tomb, day by day. And here he wants to kindle the ashes of our love and make them burn with love as he burns of love. There is a part in Johann Sebastian Bach's passion, according to Matthew, I really deeply cherish. It starts with the following German words. The words are so beautifully put into music. You can go on YouTube after this service and listen to them. I encourage you to do that. And I want to conclude this homily uh, with these words in form of prayer for each person in this room. Of course, I will do it in English. Don't worry. <laughs> Make thee clean my heart. Here, I would love to bury Jesus myself. From now on, may he find rest in me, ever in eternity. His sweet repose be there. World depart. Let Jesus in. Amen.